Stronghold Podcast, and I'm back with Alvin Ong. Cheers. Hi. Happy to be here for the third time, man. Thanks What's up, buddy? Me. Third time. You and good, Ron good, good. are my most, uh, guests I've had the most. And right. for the listeners that don't know, Alvin is the the owner, the owner of SGBJ. Uh, founder, I guess. Founder of SGBJ Open. Yep. Lion City. We're repping the Lion City Championship. Lion shirts. City Championship. Thank you for bringing me the shirt, Alvin. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I third time. I can't wait to actually do the, the Lion City thing. Likewise, man. Oh shit! So so much has happened since since then. So global pandemic, right? Yeah, that'll um, cause some problems. Yep. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, yeah. So our event was supposed to be on May second, and that was happening until it wasn't happening. So yeah, but it for sure still is going on, and yeah, hoping that phase three comes and hoping that martial arts will reopen again. Do you know what the deal with like phase three is going to be? Like, uh, I mean, can one do any shows during phase three? Or are you guys allowed to do any shows during phase three? Or do you have to wait until it's totally back to normal? I have no idea, dude. So I, I don't have any news. Um, I've heard conflicting stories from different people. So I don't want to repeat that too much. Uh, I'm hoping it will come during October because uh, I was supposed to be like, I auditioned for The Apprentice, right? So what oh, they yeah, told me, right. yeah, what they told me was... Uh, the one, was, the one championship apprentice yeah, that yeah, Chachi yeah. was doing, right? Yep. Yeah. Able to run events. And well, they would know before we would. So to be fair, I guess so. Yeah. If that's what I think it was. The Straits Times today saying, I think it was by today or maybe tomorrow that they will have fully tested all the foreign dormitories. They all would have gotten oh, their shit. tests done. So really? it, it was definitely this week. They will have cleared everybody. They mm-hmm. will have tested every single person in all of the dorms by this week. Oh, so wow. if that's the case and they finally managed to get everybody tested and sorted out, then hopefully in the next two or three weeks when the, the final remaining cases. Uh, are clear, you know, after the 14-day quarantine, hopefully the actual day-to-day cases starts to dip below 100. Would you say the, the what it was today? Oh, today was, the, the number uh, of cases, Jake? Today was uh, 130-something, 36, like that. If I but then there were like uh, 900 a couple days ago. There was a huge spike, yeah. but then they said that that was like the last... Last huge spike. Yeah, the last huge hopefully. spike. I know, man. Yeah. It still sucks not being able to train, not being Yo. able to roll. My God. Uh, I don't even feel like this year is a year at all. I feel like 2020 is like an intermission somewhat like this entire year has just been odd like uh, I'm I don't want to be insensitive but I'm somewhat kind of glad and I'm adapting to it well too so I, I know hundreds of thousands of people have died and things like that but it just made me think about what was really important in life you know so I was super busy with uh, Blind City with Singapore Jiu Jitsu with all of my own shit and when this is all shut down it just made me re- reevaluate what was important in life. And well, there's definitely <laughs> stuff you can do, right? There's something to be said for, like, especially the circuit breaker period, right? Because then you're not even allowed to leave your house. Yep. So you really have to find ways to amuse yourself. Right. And I think a lot of people picked up different skills during the circuit breaker. I mean, what, what did you do during that time? I wrote a lot, man. That's when you started writing for Medium, right? We yep, were just yep. talking about that. Yep. So uh, how, how's that going? I, I see the articles and stuff that you post. How, uh, how's thank that? Thank you. Uh, it's going well. I think content creation is the new coding. I think it's the new job of the future, man. I really, I really am like very bullish into it. So, uh, so right after this podcast, I'm gonna go home and write um, for Medium. So I've also started writing a little bit of poetry, 
and uh, working on my first novel. Yeah, so, I mean, it's good yeah. practice for you, right? No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good. You need the reps, right? It's like yep. it's like anything else, the 10,000-hour rule. Yep. You need the reps, and then however quickly you can get the reps is where you can get out your first 100%. masterpiece. You know what I mean? I agree, man. It's public practice as well. So it's like competing in small regional tournaments, mm. right? So instead of... So when you get... You can write with the door closed, and you, know, you can get good. But if you post once a week online for everybody to see, you get, you're forced to get good fast. And you know what people like and what people don't like, so I really enjoy writing, man. Uh, I was just—we were just talking about it. I didn't know you were in theater, man. Yeah, I yeah. Saw that. I yeah, saw that, that picture of you. You know, it's funny because a lot of—I mean, nobody here, of, of course, in Singapore knows that part of my life. Because when I moved here, I was—I was a teacher, and then right. even though I was teaching drama when I first came, along with oh, English, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then, but ever since then, people just know me as like the BJJ guy, the MMA guy. So a right. lot of people don't even know that I—I right. I used to do that kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting, right? Because you told me that you were uh, sort of a drama geek, I guess, in secondary yeah. school or something yeah. like that too, right? Yeah. I mean, now you're going to be on camera, I guess, too. Did you get selected for The Apprentice? Did you? Was it official? Don't I don't know, know yet. So they, they told me they would get back to me at the end of July or the start of August. I haven't gotten anything yet, so I'm probably not in. Still waiting to see. But I'm not sure. I, I guess you, I'll know for sure next week, right? But you got a lot of fans, man. You got a, you got a big social media presence. I feel like you would probably stand out in that crowd. Uh, and then you're already like, you know, Chachi's running it, right? I think so, yeah. Or he's like the, the Donald Trump of it. And shit. He's like the Donald Trump yeah, of it, yeah. So, and I mean, the fact that you already have a, a BGJ organization and you're trying to start an MMA organization and you have a social media following, I mean, all the, I think with the writings on the wall that you'd be a good candidate for it. Thank you so much. A lot mm -hmm. of people have told me that, but uh, I would love to be in it, but... Uh, What's that going to be like, man? The Apprentice him. Singapore. What the hell is that even going to be like? It's going to be crazy. Uh... It's gonna, gonna be, be Chachri like, talking shit to people. What's it gonna? The, the bargaining power that you know some of the ethnicities will have. But, you know, it's gonna be. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite curious how it's gonna go. You saw like Ellen Belcher was. Uh, so Ellen Belcher was one of the one of the interviewees. Oh really? Like Ellen Belcher is yeah. he in Singapore? No, I think he's in so, the US. So how? Just gonna um, bring, they're going to bring people in for it from overseas as well? If it's allowed, if it's legal, they'll uh -huh. fly people in. Otherwise, all 16 from Singapore. It's, well, I thought that the market was is small. the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yep. But, you know, I thought that was the whole thing. Yeah. Winner gets to manage 1FC. Is that what the actual yeah. thing is? Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. That's, that's what the thing is? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Are you serious? Not gets to manage, but it gets it like a $250,000 uh, yeah. a year contract. Gets some senior I'm sure it's some executive position. rule, right? Yeah. Wow. Holy I shit. I didn't realize that was that was what they were offering. I just see like the only thing I've seen is like pictures of Chachri just looking all fucking smoldery and shit, you know. With the that's the only the Apprentice. That's all I've seen in just the photos and stuff. I don't actually know any of the content. Is it going to be on like what what Channel Four or Channel Five? Like how are they? Gonna I have no idea. I don't know anything about that. So you just applied and now you're waiting. Uh, so I passed the first round of the interviews and I got to the second round, which is the last round. So if I pass the second one, uh, I mean. Yeah, you're busy, man. We were talking, I think it was uh, when Tiffany, Tiffany Teo was on the podcast. Oh, we were shit, like, damn, yeah. this motherfucker's busy, dude. Uh, He's, you're writing, you got this business, you got this business, yep, you're yep. fucking, you're wheeling and dealing, dude. Oh, shit, I need to watch that podcast, man. I'm gonna watch that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Tiffany's awesome, man. Yeah, I love she's, her. she's really, <laughs> I always think it's funny because uh, I told, I was hanging out with Major a couple weeks before the podcast or whatever, mm -hmm. and me and him were just drinking and shooting the shit and everything. And I told, her that, told him that Tiffany was gonna be on the podcast. I had him organize it like three or four months ago or yep. whatever. And, uh, but COVID hit and all that kind of shit, circuit breaker, mm -hmm. so we didn't do it. So we yeah. did it after we opened back up. And he's like, bro, you got to get her drunk. You got to get her drunk on the podcast. I was like, why do I got to get her drunk? Because that's when her personality really come out. You got to get her drunk. Really? I was like, oh, uh, well, <laughs> I don't want to come off as fucking creepy, but I'll try. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it was good. We sit here and we had a bunch of drinks and Charmaine was on the podcast as well. And she's fucking cool, man. I like her a lot. Right. Yeah, Tiffany's cool. Tiffany's one of the chillest fighters I've met. Like, she doesn't have like that. Uh, a lot of fighters, especially guys, have that kind of like 
thing going on, you know? Tiff doesn't have that. Yeah, Charmaine told me she was like super intimidated by her. I was like, don't be like that. Like, she's oh, cool. She's like, yeah, but she's a, she's like top contender and one. I'm like, yeah, but that's like, those are cool people, man. Right. Those are the best people in the world are people who can fuck you up, but then are also like sweethearts, you know what I mean? When, when we met Damien Maya. Like, oh, yeah. Nicest guy. I, they could murder me in seconds. <laughs> like, I would imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was the nicest guy in the world. Like, took right. time, took photos. Like, my daughter, in fact, my daughter was her first competition with you. He's talking to her about the competition. Awesome. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That wow. was the, and that was the week that he beat Ben Askren as well. Right, right. Which was fucking dope, man. That was so much fun that my he came God. in here and trained. Yeah. Uh, wow. This is so trippy for me hearing that Damien Mayo is talking about my tournament yeah, with yeah. your daughter. Yeah, oh, man. Shit. Yeah. It's a small community here, man. That's yeah, why I love is. the, that's why I love the martial arts community in mm-hmm. Singapore. It's small, it's tight. Everybody kind of knows everybody. Everybody's just doing their thing, right? Everybody's hustling. Whether right. they're trying to train all the time or whether they're trying to compete or whether they're trying to you know, get their kids involved or whatever. It's like, you know, you as the organizer of SGPGG Open, you basically see everybody in the community right, a couple times much. a year, right? Yeah. The, the, from the five-year-olds all the way up to the adults, to the black belts that are trying to compete to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. you get to see everybody in those moments. It's quite nice, right? You really get the community sense. Wow, I both love it and hate it at the same time. So I, I feel Why do you like, hate it? What is it? <laughs> I feel like Singapore Jiu-Jitsu Open is a community-based business. Like, it isn't even like... I don't consider it an event. It's community-based, right? We do it like four times a year. So everybody has this big gathering four times a year, right? So uh, I love it because it really heartens me. So I used to work for Grapple Asia, like behind the counter, things like this. And just getting to see people come together around a common goal was amazing. And there was this weird thing. So I started doing martial arts here in 2011, 2012, right? Where by like this Kuyonte thing, I think we were talking about it in the past podcast. So, so there's this weird energy between different gyms, right? So I felt like you just told me. Can you look up? Sorry, Alvin, interrupt. Can you look up Creonte just so, so we can tell the listeners what this is? I want to see what right. the actual. Def- I mean, if someone can spell Creonte. C R E O N T E. It's basically like a a person who changes a lot of jujitsu academies. The right. It's like traitor, right? Kind of. Yeah. It's like someone who goes to a bunch of different different academies. You just drop the term, and just for the listeners, it's a term that Brazilians like to use a lot. At least in all my experience, I've never heard like four Western coaches say it. You got a definition there? So um, BJJ, maybe type afterward. Yeah, uh, we have the definition. The term Kante originated within Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu organizations in Brazil. Refers to a former student who is perceived to be disloyal, particularly one who had a long-standing and well-invested relationship with their academy. Yeah, so I just wanted to give some context to that term because right. I, I probably count as one of those, right? I'm sure a lot of people, in, yeah, you, yeah, and this is a term that does get tossed around. So now, now continue with that, just to give some background. Yeah, so I started training in 2011, 2012. So there was a lot of, um, so Kriante was being tossed around a bit during those times. And this is not just in Jiu-Jitsu, but in Muay Thai and MMA and things like that as well. Back then, there were only like five, six gyms, right? You remember those times? Was yeah, involved and a bunch of other gyms. The glory days, kind of. I think it's better now, actually. For sure, it's better now. That's a weird kind of energy. I feel like um, local jiu-jitsu tournaments did a lot to dispel that energy. But people just kind of rolled each other and realized, like, oh, shit, like, like, this guy's just like me. He just signed up at a different gym, you know? And open mats, too. All of that kind of stuff is hugely beneficial to an entire community as opposed to, like, a little tight pocket of Yeah, but open mats, you can ban people from going to open mats. Like, let's say Stronghold was to, like, oh, you can't go to Stronghold open mats, right? But if it's a tournament... Everybody's there because they want to yeah. compete, right? 
So it's like. Although they tried, you remember? I know a group of Brazilians that tried to ban people from going to Grapple Asia. Oh, I didn't know anything about that. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a. I'm not gonna say any names, but I know that they didn't let their students go because they were saying that oh, the referees do this, and, the, and it's like, dude, everybody's trying. Come on, like they get pissed because maybe, the, especially this is like three or four years ago. Right. So most of the referees are like blue belts or purple belts. There's right. a couple black belt referees, but they need fucking lunch at some point. You know what I mean? Like so, then the new people come on. Plus, you need to train the purple belts. You need yep. to. This is how it goes, and then they get pissed because someone didn't treat their kid fairly or their student fairly, or there was some call that they don't agree with or whatever. So they were saying that they were going to boycott the tournaments, and it's like, what? Come on, man. Why are you so? Why are you so sucked up into this thing? I get it, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're they're ripped off, and we've all experienced poor decisions at tournaments and everything. But Jesus Christ, you got to let it go. I mean, what are we doing here? There's another one in three months. Get it back, like. Right. I I, I see it both ways as a former competitor right so i feel like as long as there there is a sense of progress so when we started yeah. we had like blue belt referees and things like this but we tried to make it better every time so we hired black belts we got minimum purple belts so we try to make it better every time and if there was a screw up i would personally go and speak to the guy involved and we would work out something you know like work out a deal because i know like it sucks uh, to to train for two months for a tournament and you lose in the first round by an advantage or badly given advantage yeah so I totally get it. Uh, so if if in the future anything like this happens in Singapore Jiu-Jitsu, feel free to reach out to me, man. So we have like dozens and dozens of matches, so everything can't be perfect. But we're trying our best, and I feel like as long as every tournament we get better, we get better, and things eventually will hit. Like, a good point. And I mean, some of that stuff is just unavoidable. Right. Right? Some of it is, is unavoidable. You're going to have this kind of stuff. And I, I get it, right? I get, I get being pissed off, but boycotting the tournaments or doing any of that kind of stuff is just not... First of all, being a judge or a referee is a thankless job. Right, it is. It's the yeah. worst job. Like, because you got this guy yelling at you for one way, you got this guy yelling at you for the other way, you're trying to do your best. Like, sometimes the rules change all the time. Like, the IBJJF rules, this is something that a lot of white belts and blue belts don't understand. Yep. They're updated every year. So, yep. like, getting an advantage for this particular thing, all of this technique transitioning into this one, that, that shit gets rewritten every year. 100%. And there's always these new things. Mm-hmm. And then good luck for a blue belt or a purple belt who's just been training for a few years who's trying to get into the ref scene. They're trying to help out. They want to get involved. To then have these black belts yelling at them and shit when they're trying to... I mean, I get it, right? They still, still need to be held accountable. But it's a process. This scene here is relatively new. In 10 years, it's going to be all black belt referees, right? Yep. I mean, it will build to that point. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the purple belt is just getting screamed at by Brazilians on both sides at the end. It's like, guys, just give them a break. Give yeah. Them, you know, give them a break. We're, they're trying their best. Yeah. I've had purple belts uh, ref one time and, like, they're just done. Yeah. Like, no more. <laughs> yeah, never no again. More. A boy! A boy! You start getting yelled at. You're just like, Ugh. Oh, man. Ugh. I, I feel very bad for them but eventually we're going to build up to all black belt referees but this isn't enough black belts on the island to, yeah. to ref like in a, to- a whole tournament we need like 8 black belts you know I mean, especially enough. a few years ago especially right? if they want to coach as well so yeah. uh, I'm appreciative uh, towards all the referees black belts or purple belts or brown belts for helping out because the money isn't that great like we pay the best we can but they're doing it to keep the tournament running so Thank you all previous referees for Singapore Jiu-Jitsu Open and all future referees. We appreciate you a lot. Thank you so much. Well, I think uh, go- going back to the, that Creante thing, I think Creanche, I think is how the Brazilians say it. But uh, going back to that thing, I think that the community aspect of the martial arts scene in Singapore is getting a lot better than it used to be. It used to be yes. like they're turfs, right? Like this is my turf, this is your yeah. turf. Some, some gyms would do open mats and try to like, kind of 
keep that open vibe to rolling in Singapore. But back in those days, like if you were at certain gyms, you wouldn't like get in the picture. You wouldn't let anybody film you. People would be asked right, specifically right. to like, no, nah, no, nah, don't, because they yeah. feel like it would like offend their coach. And then, you know, like, and then some people would leave to go train at other gyms. Most of the time, it's just because they moved, right? Like, this is the thing that a lot of instructors don't understand. Like, for example, when I left Evolve initially, it was just because I moved, mm. right? I lived, I lived, uh, I moved to uh, Dairy Farm Road. So it's like 20 minutes up the road. And this is when Trifecta was here. Yeah. And Evolve, the closest one, the Pomo that I used to go to, is all the way downtown, right. right? And then I remember, so I was like, my contract ended. And I was like, guys, I, it's like an hour and a half for me to get there. Yeah. Like, this is 20 minutes away from my house. I was like, I'm not going to do that. After work, because that's mm -hmm. when I was a teacher, I'm just not going to take, I'm not going to finish work at 5 o'clock, take an hour plus trip there, hour trip back after training for an hour or two, get home at 11 o'clock. I'm not going to do 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. to train. It's just too much. Right. Right. And that's why a lot of people leave gyms. And then I even remember, like, <laughs> feeling a little bit shitty going to the first competition after I left Evolve because... You know, <laughs> the coaches kind of gave me this look, and I was like, oh, what do I do? Like, I, I don't do that to any of my students. If they leave, like, it's mm. cool. Your, yeah. your instructors don't own you. They don't, they, they don't have any right to, you, you pay what you pay. I mean, loyalty is great, but it's not like, you don't deserve someone's undying loyalty until you're dead. Like, you can, you know what I mean? If your students want to stay with you and they want to do all of that stuff, I'm down for it. Mm. But if, like, they have a family and stuff and they can't, afford to make that round trip or they don't can't afford the prices anymore it's like doesn't mean they hate you it's right just, uh, especially if you're a paying student yeah you shouldn't you're like a customer you know like you shouldn't have to feel that way but um jiu-jitsu being jiu-jitsu there's a lot of relationships involved and feelings can get hurt and things like this but you're definitely right things are much better now than like five years ago yeah i would say yeah and it's awesome it's good to um and events like grapple asia and SFC and uh, of course Singapore Jiu-Jitsu Open I feel have come a long way to, to growing that to growing the scene in general yeah this is the best scene I've been a part of because uh, even when I trained in the US like, oh, really? I mean that never happened I think partly is the reason why the community is tighter here is because it's a small island Yeah, people can cross train a lot easier mm -hmm. like where I'm from I mean the nearest academy is like in another city mm -hmm. there's not really more than you know when you get into the big cities then there'll be multiple academies if you're in California or New York or something like that yep but if you're in like most of the U.S., these like semi-rural suburban parts of the U.S., there's only one academy in the area. Oh shit! Like there's, you know, it's not like this where there's all right on top of each other, so you can have a bunch of different academies going by. So it's like no one's gonna drive 45 minutes to go to someone else's academy when there's one right near you. Right. So you really don't. So it tends to be a lot more tribal. Right. Because. Uh, that's I the closest see. gym to you. There's all this space between you. If I'm, you're going to drive like an hour to go to some other gym, other person's gym, then maybe I have the right to be offended a little bit. It's like, damn, dude, you're going to go all the way over there. Right. You don't want to train with me. You're going to go all the way over there. Right. But uh, in here, it's like, yeah, people will go to open mass. People will train. And I know a lot of communities, like friends, have mm -hmm. friends that train at other gyms. You know what I mean? Like I have some friends here, and then their friends train yep. at other gyms. Like, yep, for sure. You know what I mean? So where do you see the scene in like the near future in like two years time after COVID is done I think the arrival of uh, Robert Deagle uh, to evolve as their official I think he's the, he's the head Nogi guy right what happened to the Eddie Bravo guy uh, he left some oh, time he did? ago Rick Marshall yeah he left oh some time he left ago. yeah yeah oh so yeah I didn't know I guess I thought he was the, the guy but mm -hmm. is that why they're bringing Robert in they want the, yeah, the, the Nogi the, guy yeah Robert's the guy now and so I've ruled with Robert a couple of times and the, the first 
time I rolled with him, I was so surprised. I felt like yeah, I rolled him too. He's I felt like I was wiped out again. Yeah, I, not like I'm super good at jiu-jitsu, but I usually don't feel that way. Like if if I get caught, I I know I got caught. But this guy just like systematically destroyed me like yeah. many times in one round. I'm like wow. Yeah, he's got the leg game right at a really really high level. When yeah. he comes, every other gym's gonna have to up their leg game. Yeah, because he that's pretty much all he does. Right. Is like, like I saw him drilling. Always. I mean, he he does other stuff too. He's got a good back game and he does the straight jacket stuff from the back. Very good and, back game. But I mean, if you watch him drill, he's drilling all these leg entries, leg entries everywhere. I yeah, think that's, that's what he's known for. Probably like eighty percent of his training is legs. Mm-hmm. Where it's like most of the time, I would say that the ratio is the opposite. Right. I don't know, dude. Do you think we're gonna get a big pop once uh, we get out? Of, we're already getting a pretty big pop for the striking courses here. Mm-hmm. Do you think once like phase three is over, boom, BJJ is full blown? You think it's just gonna be a I think so. Influx. I think so. It's what I'm hoping for as well, uh, for my events and like other things. But I think so. I think people are, I think the energy is people are more so desperate to train. They're like hungry for it, you know. So like you've said, you've received a lot of signups for yeah. for stronghold. Surprisingly, we've been getting right? a lot of trials like every day. Yeah. So that's what I think, and I think that once events are able to launch, I'm gonna start hosting them like nonstop. So like Jujitsu, um, Lion City, it's gonna go. So exciting times. Yeah, I think uh, hopefully it's in a couple months, man. I hope they don't wait till January. I'm hoping October. Hoping, like, fingers crossed. Would you do... Uh, so, do you think you'll be doing your first Lion City show? I guess you just have to wait until you can have crowds there, right? You can't do it, like... Mm, I'm hoping they don't do the 250 people max. So, I definitely have to have a crowd. So, ticket sales are where the... Yeah, the money How is. we pay fighters mm. and things like this. Do you, right? where, what venue do you have picked out for? Do you know yet? Are you still uh, working on it? Do you remember the Singapore Jiu-Jitsu Open 4 um, venue? Fu Chao? Hall, was it? Oh, yeah, that place. Yeah, so, that was our original place. So, we may still go ahead with that. Yeah, that was nice. SFC did their event there. It was quite cool. Yep, yep. They yeah. did Fu Chao and Fu Sing. So, mm. yeah. We may do it. So, our first one or two events are going to be uh, just... Just for us to try out, so we're gonna get like amateurs. Just for us to even out all the kinks, right? Yeah. So, so the whole idea of the event is to have a feeder league to like one FC. So I feel like a lot of amateur fighters here want to fight, but they have to travel all the way to Johor or to Thailand or to things like that to mm. fight. Like why? It doesn't have to be that way. And yeah, I feel like Lion City can can uh, replace that niche. Are you gonna bring in foreigners too, or mostly Singaporeans? Yes, foreigners for sure. Mainly Malaysians. Yeah, uh, a lot sense. of Malaysians are interested. Uh, ever since Mima came down. Yeah. So that's that's a huge chink in the market, right? Yeah. Or at least I think so. So the first two events, let's try out all amateurs. We're gonna start giving out belts. So from flyweight to lightweight, I think. So hey, if you're an MMA fighter, start getting fit right now, man. Because October, hopefully, we're gonna start doing Lion City. Do you, uh, do you have a, already a, a roster of guys ready to go for whenever? You, like how many guys do you have on there was, uh, waiting? There were a lot of people interested in in the May second event, so we even got uh, like so, so, sorry straw weight belts to lightweight belts. So we even got uh, we were arranging a lightweight title fight and a straw weight title fight. So it was going to be lit, like it was going to be awesome. But COVID came along. Yeah, COVID <laughs> came and ruined everything, man. Yep. So that'll be sweet. What do you think? How many fights are you going to do per card? Do you have um, a number? An I think idea, rough idea? it was 12 fights. Wow, you're yeah. going to put on a lot. Yeah. So you need 24 fighters. Because amateur events are only like three rounds, three minutes, That's right? true. It's quicker. So, yeah. so if, I guess an hour and a half long show, something mm-hmm. like that. I think it's, it was 12 fights with three pro boxing bouts. 
Oh, so you're gonna do some other yeah, stuff so too. So it was like undercut all amateurs, three pro boxing fights, and then two the two main events are the title fights. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's sick. So you can do pro boxing, but amateur. I guess Singapore does have the scene already for boxing. Yep, it does. They already have the pro boxing scene, so that's good. Yeah, you can. You say we're gonna work with Arvin as well, right? With SFC, uh, I thought. So he was supplying three the the three pro boxers. Okay. So the boxing is his thing, and nice. the MMA is my thing. Word. Yeah. yeah. That's good. He's gonna get a ring in and everything as well. But ah well. Um, it's definitely coming though. Hopefully by this year, I'm gunning. Like it will happen, and let's close off the year with a bang and forget nice. this ever happened. You and me gonna do the commentary? Let's do What's it. What's up, bro? It's gonna be good. What's up, bro? Hell uh, yeah! Fast said he was interested. Like fuck a fast. I know you had him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he'd totally be down. He'd yeah. totally be down for something like that. Yeah. He told me straight up. He's like, dude, I'm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he told me that as well. We'll see what's up. I don't know. <laughs> Let's do it, man. It's gonna be lit. Yeah, man, yeah. for sure. I mean, you could do a three-person commentary team as well. I don't care. You and Foss can do it. Dude. I'll just be like one I mean, corner. Up to you. I'm, I'm down for whatever, man. You could do three. Could do two. Yeah, dude. That's that's depends on how much you want to do it. You're a big boss, man. So it's all up to you, dude. Nah, man. It's I'm not. just a fly on the wall. I, I have. I'll always happily just yell at people fighting. I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'll keep it together. I'm not gonna be that guy. But dude, one I problem we have. One thing that I really like to do is to bring back like great walkouts. Great like, walkouts? Yeah, like pageantry a little bit. So we both are from TFL, Fireworks right? and shit, like professional wrestling? Maybe not for the first two events. <laughs> but for sure, man, if you can get like larger halls and you know, better like more money. more of a spectacle. Yeah, a little bit more of that. A little bit more pride stuff coming back. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Are you going to have like a, a, a walk down? Like a ramp. <laughs> yeah, a ramp, a ramp. Dude, that'd be sick. Uh, one of the big reasons why we chose Fu Chao is because it has like, like a mini ramp. Like it has a stage, so they can walk down the stage and be guided to the ring. I think we need to make people more into like superstars kind of thing, you know? So... Plus it's more fun for the spectator. It is. You know? It's more fun for me as well. I love yeah. that shit. Yeah. Get people dancing, bro. That's the move. Uh, we were even thinking of hiring like some dancers to, to walk the fighters out. Mm. Something like that. Some ring girls. Some ring girls. Some ring girls, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Ring, no, I'm not volunteering for this, but <laughs> ring boys. You need ring, when it's female fighters, they should be walked out by dudes in trunks for equality. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Get, be the first to do that. You'll get press. Well, you'll get press. That's yeah. for sure. I don't know what kind of press it'll be. If it'll be good press or bad press, but all press is good press. Me yeah. in a speedo. That's just <laughs> <laughs> Luke in a speedo. Yeah, walking down, dude. One funny thing is we haven't got uh, for our last one at least. We haven't got any female fighters interested. We've got one, but there's nobody to fight her. What's her weight class? Uh, bantamweight. So she, what's that? In 61. Ah, uh, 61. Yeah. Could probably get some. Just need to, I don't know, man. I'm always confused. Most of the Singaporean girls are into jiu-jitsu. Right. Not so a whole lot of them face. are into striking and if, stuff. If, if you throw out like a sub, sub only bout, you definitely get female fighters. You're going to go ring or cage? Uh, we have got a cage, but it's small. So I think we'll do ring first. So you're going to do MMA in the ring? Yes. Nice. Which is suboptimal, but... I think what's happening. Well, if you want to do a price style, I mean, right. The good thing about the ring or the yeah, the like the boxing ring is that it's better for the spectators. Mm -hmm. You it can is. see, you can see better. The annoying thing is people fall through it, and you got to have some Japanese dudes pulling the fucking ropes to shoving you back in the ring and everything. Yeah. But they don't yeah. have to be Japanese. But if you want to go old school, just hire a bunch of Japanese people. No, I've got it. When the female fighters come up, Japanese dudes wearing the thong like the sumo thong, shoving people up, and then you've killed all the birds with one stone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that. <laughs> got the visual. I have, yeah. and I'm deeply disturbed by it. That's what I was going for. That's what I was going for. You know what I miss about the Pride style shows? Remember the dudes right, banging just, their drums? Yeah, and then just right, right. That hits you, man. Then when people start to walk in, you're just like, oh my god! Yeah. It just like gets you deep in the chest, and you're just like, shit. Those dudes just 
banging the drum as you walk on. Pride was special, man. Pride was special. They had the best entertainment value. Yeah. At the expense of everybody's health and, <laughs> and like everything, but they had the best entertainment. They knew how to put on a show. They knew spectacle. They knew how to... They had like little reels. 1FC does that as well. They have like little reels where they show like the fighters' backstory and their training and, and things like this before they walk out. I, I really enjoy it. You need that. You need a little bit of the story element. Yeah, People need to know is. who the fighters are. Mm-hmm. That's why you need guys to fight more than once. Yep. Because one-offs really are not sustainable. I mean, you can in a short time, but to build something, that's what the UFC did so well, mm-hmm. right, is they had a roster. That's why, like, in the UFC, you can be the fourth or fifth fighter down on the main card, and you're going to be more famous and more people are going to know you more yeah. than, like, the co-main event on any boxing card in the world. Yeah. People buy boxing pay-per-views only for the main event. Only for the star. There's not even a co-main or like no one knows anybody on the undercard. But like right. diehard MMA fans know the early prelims. They know right. those people because the UFC invested in these people further down in the card, building their story, building their story. They're not yep. one-offs. They know to put like people under the superstars and then build the, mm-hmm. you know, those the stars for tomorrow. Where boxing has just totally abandoned that model. You need those people to fight few times so that way they can build a fan base yeah story storytelling is key and i think with social media it's gotten a lot easier now just to spread the word of like different people so yeah we're definitely in it for the long game with both lion city and sgjitsu so in five years i think we're gonna see something very special in singapore with uh singaporean fighters even malaysian fighters so i like to i like to make uh the scene i just like to grow the, the whole pie of the scene together it's are you going to fight in your own show are you going to be one of those are you going to be like what was the guy Tom Atencio remember he fought in the Affliction show he owned the show and he fought in the show yeah he owned Affliction and then he fought in one of the shows I mean the good thing is you can give yourself like a can you know what yeah. I mean you right can, who's going to say no to you yeah. <laughs> I think that's what he did I'm not saying you should do that but I'm saying that's what he did so that's, that's kind of what Floyd Mayweather does yeah so he his owns own. his own show and he, he picks he, he gives himself his own check like he writes yeah. his own check that's why he gets paid so much uh I might do that, but not for not for the first couple of events yeah, yeah. until we have everything ironed out. Keep you know? a keep a little bit of distance, right? Yeah, I'm supposed to fight in yeah. Penang as well, so I want to get. Have you heard done. anything about that? You were supposed to fight for some title in Penang. It's still on, uh, but I don't know when. So I'm just staying healthy. Mm. Dude, you're a busy motherfucker. You're supposed to fight. You have these two other businesses. You're writing all the time. I don't know how you do it, dude. Uh, it's just three plates, three four plates in the air at all times. So I don't really have a life. What's your like work schedule look like? What's your workflow? Every Just day. mad fucking dash, uh, collapse in bed by the end of the day. Wow, it was. It's not as bad as people think, but it was worse when when um, Singapore Jiu Jitsu Open first got started. So for the first two three events, for the first three events, it was the worst. Like I had anxiety through the roof because I couldn't manage it. Like I was. Um, one thing I realized was I can't look at my phone the whole day, so. If, if you look at me right now I'm kind of off social media a little bit during this pandemic so so if I wake up and I and straight away I open I check my emails I check my whatsapp I'll have like, like a deluge of messages just like just firefighting all the time and you just the anxiety just spikes and you go to sleep like this so it was bad but I have a system to manage it now and it's gotten a lot better what were you doing during the uh, we were talking earlier about like everybody sort of found something to do during the circuit breaker what did you I mean you can't your businesses were on hold. I know you said you were writing a lot, mm-hmm. but did you like, uh, I mean, did you spend all your time doing that? Did you work on like, is there any other thing that you picked up when, during the time? Did you just get fat? Were you working out? What, what would you, I, I got fat and drank. Out. That's all I did, dude. <laughs> I went the other way. All you fucking healthy people just, and making fools of me. Every person I have on the podcast, I ask them, like, what did you do? They're like, oh, I got fucking jacked. I made, I lost 20 pounds. I did this. And I'm like, I just drank the whole time. And didn't. I did some stuff, but 
it was not easy for me to not have a routine and the gym is my right is my routine that's it man right? is the routine it's what keeps me sober it's what keeps me sane it's what keeps me yep. healthy and fit yep. and when that's gone i'm just like god damn this is not good <laughs> so i've had the, the luxury of having this happen to me a few times so uh i hurt my shoulder during my last fight right that was like four years ago or something and i hurt my eye so so it, they were recurring injuries in the sense that I couldn't do anything at all with them. I couldn't even like do a push-up. I couldn't open my eye or my eye was hurt. So I've had a lot of time away from my routine and being alone in the sense that I got to create my own routines. So now, like, if I had to step away from martial arts forever right now, I could do it, you know? Um, so pretty much to answer your question, I've just been reading a lot and writing a lot during Circuit Burger. Just doing a lot of kettlebell workouts that you guys are doing here. Mm. Yeah, but that was your—that's your main thing, right? I mean, what's what's your end game? I know you you're into these these fight promotions and uh, jiu-jitsu tournaments and all that kind of stuff. But for you, the the end game is writing, ultimately, right? That's the, the thing that you go to sleep at night thinking about. Yeah, the end game is to walk away from is five ten years from now, just get to walk away from the entire scene and just be on an just island write, and write, write full time. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to keep a toe in? Do you still want to keep this as part of your thing? Uh, I'll train for fun for mm. sure. Yep. Uh, but career wise. No, I, you want to be a full-time writer. I want to get like a couple of belts, and I want to get uh, good at jiu-jitsu, especially nogi. I really like that. Uh, but with Singapore jiu-jitsu and Lion City, it was something almost like I fell into because I felt like I had the skill sets to kind of because people were bitching about not having tournaments or not having fights and things like this forever, right? And nobody was doing anything substantial about it. And I was like, I could probably do it, you know. So, not to master my, not to, not to be a, not to blow my own horn or anything, but. I felt like I could do it, so I did something about it. So, um, like money-wise and everything is secondary. But if I could build the scene such that it doesn't need me to run anymore, then I'll happily leave and just yeah. write. Yeah. Just keep your shares, cash your checks, dude. Right. <laughs> Ten years from now. Well, I mean, wh one thing that nobody can deny about you is that you hustle. Because, uh, you know, so many people are just afraid to, you know, even like your writing you're talking about. You're, you're writing and people, when it comes to training or when it comes to competing, so many people are afraid to put out bad work. Right. Right. Even like me doing this podcast, like there's been so many times I don't want to like click post because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I sounded like an idiot. Oh, I right. did this wrong. I talked too much. I didn't shut right. up. I didn't ask the right questions. I wasn't prepared. Whatever. Right. All of these things that you, right. you tell yourself. And then, but ultimately you just have to accept the fact that you've got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure the very first article you posted on Medium it's is not going to win you a fucking Pulitzer, yeah. right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like same thing. The very first tournament you ever do is not mm -hmm. going to be the best, as uh, good as it would be in three, yep. four or five years. And so many people just don't, same thing, first day in jujitsu, you get choked 30 times. Like you just have to go through that stage where whatever you're, endeavor you go down your work in the beginning is not going to be what you want it to be and it's embarrassing and it sucks and you're going to but one thing about you is you're just willing to you're willing to have that beginner mindset where you're like it doesn't have to be it's okay all right i'm starting these article things i want to start these businesses they're going to be rocky in the beginning and then but i'll get better yeah you know um thank you so much for the compliment uh you're absolutely right i think in the sense that doing jiu-jitsu since i was like 15 16 helped a lot with that so it helped to clear away like all the mind fucks like you tell yourself because you you have to put yourself out there in jiu-jitsu right like you you win tournaments you lose tournaments and then when you transition to mma you win fights you lose fights so like everybody wants to be an undefeated monster but never happens yeah I mean, and impossible even undefeated monsters lose in the gym yeah like you can't be perfect all the time like there's just no way and even if they're undefeated there they lose somewhere else right there's in some aspect of life right 
you know, unless right. you're the person that only does the thing that you're good at ever, mm-hmm. and then those people are. Yeah, you, know, you don't p- want to be a one-trick pony. What's the point of living life like that, right? I want to be a broad person in in the sense that I feel like so. I just wrote this down in my journal. I feel like I'm not like a very smart guy or like I'm not the most hardest working guy, you know. But I'm always very enthusiastic in the things that I enjoy. So, like I I feel like I enjoy it. Like it's a it's a life well lived. So, I wake up. Um, I work for a cause that I believe in that has meaning for me, and it satisfies me and. So if people criticize like this event or that event, it's just water off the back. I'll just be myself and I'll continue. Yeah, well, I think that's the secret to avoiding like a lot of the pitfalls that people get into life, whether it's drugs, whether it's depression, whether it's any of these things that sort of modern society has entrapped us with, right? All of the th- gambling, drugs, all of that stuff is just to do something that is meaningful to you rather than something that just pays you well or rather than something that's I would much rather do a job that I love for less money than one that I make more money for that I hate I mean even when I was a school teacher mm-hmm. that wasn't the worst job ever but god just wasn't for me like, you it, like it? it was that it was a good transitionary thing to get me to where I'm at now it allowed right. me to pay my bills and it's better than you know washing dishes or mm-hmm. serving or whatever other thing that I would like even worse than that mm-hmm. but that was one of those things that when I was doing that I would come home and I would drink every day almost mm-hmm. every right, four right. or five times a week I right understand. and it was just because why don't I do that now because I'm here and mm-hmm. I don't want to feel like shit at training the next day and like it's not worth it for me waking up today I found the higher priority in my life right. where it's intrinsically motivates me to not do that because mm-hmm. I would rather do this but when it came to that point it's like well would I rather just go home after working all day as a teacher and I was like fuck it I'll drink right or now right. I have a higher priority it's easier for me to do that right and especially depression that's the one that I, I think the most people get stuck into that cycle of just going going to work coming home going to work coming home yeah life is too short to be focusing on something that you detest you know so it's it's meaning versus pleasure Right, so I always take meaning all the time because pleasure is a false god, in the sense that. So you talked about your when you were drinking and when you were teaching, right? So when you drink, like it's fun. You have, you know, and there's nothing wrong with pleasure, right? But now that you have something higher than that, like when you come to the gym and train, so there's meaning in not drinking. There's yeah. meaning in the work that you put out. So so that I feel is the ultimate priority of life, just to. The, the meaning of life is to give life a meaning that's yeah. that's what I that's what I found in my young life well and then one of the good things too you're talking about is like you know I love the term jack of all trades master of none mm-hmm. right that's how I describe myself because I'm you know even when it comes to martial arts I'm not the best guy in jiu jitsu right like the Brazilians will fuck me up same thing with Muay Thai the Thais will fuck me up like but I do an MMA game right mm-hmm. I have a well rounded game and it's the same thing like I'm dude I'm not great at anything but I'm okay at some things like right. several things right it's like I'm pretty good at kickboxing muay thai jiu-jitsu and wrestling mm-hmm. i'm pretty good at like playing the guitar and the piano but i'm not a master at any of that shit you're black belt right. jiu-jitsu though so don't <laughs> yeah, the, you know it's like whatever like i'm comfortable with where i'm at because i like the fact that i have a wide set of skills mm-hmm. it's even the same thing with this podcast right it got to the point where after training for so many years and so many years i felt like there was this thing i wanted to do right and then i had to go back to that and i for years i sat on it right i was like i don't want to do it but then i'm like oh, i don't want to look like an idiot and then i was like oh, i really want to do it and then you get into that that thing where you just make excuses for why you shouldn't do something mm-hmm. and that voice in your head is so loud it's like oh and then even when you start it's still just fucking banging in the back yeah. of your head and you just gotta for me i just call myself tell myself quit being a bitch and do it you know yeah, it's that bitch voice man i think that's what joe rogan calls it yeah, don't bitch. give in to the inner bitch right mm-hmm. so it's 
uh, I felt like jujitsu has helped me so much in this aspect because when I was younger, I didn't have that kind of discipline and the, that inner inner bitch voice was loud, right? But this has allowed me to be able to write and just carry it over to a lot of aspects of my life and just that discipline. So going back to to what we, what we were talking about, um, this, uh, so you, we were talking about washing dishes and teaching and things like this. I washed dishes when I was 18 so I could train. So yeah. So there's, there are times in life, especially when you're coming up, you have to do things you don't really enjoy to get what you want. But um, I feel like life should be meaningful. But you're doing that for a purpose, right? Like right. the washing dishes exactly. was so right. that you could right. eventually get to the point where you don't exactly. have to live in that mode of existence any longer, mm-hmm. right? So it's working for a goal. I think the traps come when you get when you're dealing with like depression and drug addiction, all these kind of things, where people get sucked into the cycle yes. that they feel like they can't break out of, and they can't see the reason that they're working for all that stuff. They're just yep. kind of stuck in the loop of the momentum of their current state, yep. right? And they can't get to that higher thing, or they don't want to be embarrassed and look like a beginner again and go back to that beginning point where they're not you know especially in something like <laughs> jujitsu where they're going to be embarrassed or a podcast or yes. you're writing right. i mean that's out there for everyone to consume there's mm-hmm. no hiding it it just your work and your heart is out there for people to see and then you just have to eat shit and suck it up and you know accept the you're fact that right. you're, yeah you're you pretty know. more eloquently than i could have but yeah you're right uh yeah man like once again it's public practice so what helps me a lot is keeping in mind that I'm gonna die like one day. So are you really gonna let the opinions of others like not make you start your podcast or like not make you start writing a medium or writing a book or doing jujitsu? At the end of the day nobody gives a fuck about you other than you. Like not even your parents, like that's what I think at least. So you gotta do you're gonna die, man. To a certain point. I mean they can't make you your parents can't make you do stuff, right? Yep. Eventually you have to just find those things that, that motivate you. But you know, and the other thing too about any of that stuff, starting new endeavors is just that the more you do it, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really difficult the first couple of times, especially when you're young to put yourself out there to be judged by yep. the public. Yep. But as you do it, as you do, like even when I, I said earlier, when I first started releasing the podcast, I was looking at all the numbers, looking at all the comments, always just trying to see what's yeah. up. Now I just drop that shit and run. Like mm-hmm. that's all I do. I have no idea how many views the last four or five podcast downloads and just drop it and run, just drop it, run. Right. And just see, I got to give it time. There's just no point. In yeah, it's the long game, man. I was like this with medium as well. I was like, hit refresh like 20 times in a day. Yeah. You know, that's just counterintuitive. <laughs> just yeah. like mind fuck yourself too much. Now I'm the same. I just write and I move on and I move on and yeah. I move on. Because how much mental space can you allow that to take up in your head when right. you've already done the work? Mm-hmm. Right? You're just going to dwell on it. You're going to dwell. Better to spend that energy moving forward to the yeah. next thing. Right? A lot of artists and creators like mind fuck themselves. Which is why a lot of artists, artists and creators also have also suffer from mental illness. Yeah. So pressure has been something that I've been thinking about recently, especially with people like Floyd and Connor. So when you fight or when you compete at that kind of level, it's immense pressure. But these guys thrive under pressure. Like Floyd has been fighting championship rounds and is undefeated for over twenty years, yeah. and he's just retired now. So imagine that kind of pressure. If he gave into it, if he gave into the voices telling him that, like, oh god, you yeah. can't lose this fight, you're like 49 and 0 or something like that, that would have fucked him up, you know. But I try to learn from these guys and take like what they do, and the the amount of self belief and the amount of being okay with the worst kind of situation they have is is tremendous. So I try to take a lot of that from them. And for all those guys, like you know, they're, they're just all workhorses. Yeah. Right. And not, and not in the sense that like they're necessary. Not that they're killing themselves 100 hours a day, but they're just consistent over a long period of time. Yep. 
and, and that's the trick, right? It doesn't matter what you do. If you want to be a black belt in jiu-jitsu, there's only one way. Show up. And you have to love it, man. Yeah, whatever that number is, two, three, four times a week. But you also have to get through the patches where you don't love it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times it's like that. Like, yeah. with any endeavor that you do, with any job that you do, it's a, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, you have it goes up, and then it goes down. And when it goes down, you can't just jump ship. You yep. can if you really, really don't want to do it. But that stuff rebounds. It, it often comes back. And, and I think most people know what's a short-term like fun thing they're, they're they just wanted to try and then what's something that they want to like sustain for their life mm-hmm. you know you have to be able to recognize i think what what those are but uh you have to it's like a relationship right it's like being in a fucking being married or something yeah you can't just jump ship the second things get difficult right it's if, you, if like if you want the benefits that that kind of institution offers you then you gotta you gotta put the work in and you gotta stay on stay on board even when it gets bad i agree um i feel like i'm very lucky and very grateful to have figured out what I kind of want to do at a young age but yeah I feel like it's it's not it's not an amount of things that you do but if you do like two three things and you really put your soul into them you really enjoy them and it gives you your life meaning and purpose then that is a good life what's me. the aspect of like a, of writing do you, do you enjoy the most do you enjoy reading more or writing more uh, I like both. Yeah. Yeah. I think Stephen King said you have to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader as well. You've yeah. got to read a lot and write a lot. There's no way around it. Yeah, you don't want to only write. That would yeah. be a trap, I think. Yeah. I think only reading is a more common pitfall. Mm. So uh, a lot of would-be writers just read. They, yeah. they, they can't get past the fear of creating something, right? Yeah. But you have to do both. So uh, one thing I like about reading as opposed to fighting is something that you can do forever and you can only get better. Yeah. So somebody like Stephen King is like 73 or something like that. He's still really fucking good. And he's arguably better now than when he was 50 or like 20, right? So that, that's something that really appeals to me. So yeah, I, That's for life, right? I mean, yeah, you're not going to be throwing head kicks when you're 70, but you can still read and write. You're not going to be eating head kicks when you're 70. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yeah. That's, I don't mind throwing them. Yeah, like, exactly. you stay still, I'm going to head kick the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, bro. Um, same with acting, man. Which is why I enjoyed acting when I was a teenager. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, I could do this for a long time. Podcasting. Podcasting. Yeah. I mean, I think this was this is how I've chosen now to scratch that itch that I the artistic itch that I had from acting. Yep. But this format is much more suited to my personality. Like some of the skills I think that I learned in acting school can translate to this. I know how to be on camera a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know how to public speak a right. little bit. Like I'm, it's still a new form, but it does scratch that itch for me. I guess in some sense. I don't know exactly what it is, but I also enjoy the long-form conversation and just don't get enough of it today. So I combine those right. things and it, it does scratch that itch in a really deep and interesting way for me that I don't get reading somebody else's thoughts, uh, whether it's in a screenplay or a, a play or whatever. Yep. And then I just get to articulate my thoughts. And a lot of times on the podcast, I'm teasing them out. I don't even know. I don't know. We didn't talk about what we are going to say before yeah. any of this and now <laughs> we started out fighting and then we we're going into success stories and then we we're going into this none of this is planned yeah we're just ripping things out yeah yeah fuck it it's fun because mm-hmm. a lot of this is actually experimenting with our own thoughts that's what right. long form discussion does yep. you're parsing this out as you go and the more that you do it the more you refine your thoughts the more clear clearly you articulate yourself the better you understand yourself and yeah. how you think you know writing as well but yeah, but you do you you didn't like acting when you were, when you were in it I liked it but I, I don't like the process of getting the work that's, that was a deal breaker for me. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. that Fuck that. Yeah. Like, I would enjoy the work. The only time I would ever get back into acting now is if somebody was like, okay, here you go, there's a part. Yeah. And if it was good, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> but that's the deal. I'm not going to go through the, gr- the gauntlet of going yeah, to auditions. Yeah, yeah. And, and Singapore's a little different. 
but mm. uh, in New York, like if you want to audition for a play or a f- film or even a commercial, there's going to be 40 other dudes there trying to read like one shitty line from one shitty bit part a hundred different ways and most likely the casting director already has a very clear idea of what they're looking for mm-hmm. and it's like the market's way overblown. There will right. be seriously like 30 people in a casting room to read like one small line in a commercial for example. Holy shit. Yeah and if you want to get a big part it's like something big you got to really have gone through that right and it's just soul crushing. Yeah. yeah I can so, imagine yeah, fuck uh, I've done a couple of auditions uh, here in Singapore. I just don't like it. I feel like uh, just whoring yourself out too much. Yeah. Uh, it's not my thing, but it is other people's thing. So, I mean, for some people, the work is worth all of that. Yeah. To me, it, it's not because most of the work is not what you're actually doing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Like, if you want to be an actor, most of your work is auditioning. It's not acting. Yep. So then you have to decide, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. You know what I mean? You also have to kind of conform to the director, like whoever, like the producers, what they want you to do, you know? That, that was kind of a deal breaker to me. So when I I'm write, cool with that. I'm cool reflecting someone else's vision once okay. you get the work. Then then it becomes a collaboration of sorts and, you know, I'm giving my interpretation of what someone else's work. To me, that's interesting. That's the fun part. Right. But it's just going through the grind of like trying to appeal to these people behind a desk mm. to read this line that like, I mean, it doesn't really take skill to, if you want to be like, work, get a really complex part in a, in a book or in a play or a movie that takes serious acting skill that's not what most of acting is Mm. most of acting is like you start out with a supporting role you start off with like a a little bit part a little line in a commercial and it doesn't take a genius to read that and read it okay you don't have to be fucking Daniel Day Lewis to read like one word in a commercial Mm -hmm. a commercial is like 30 seconds long Right, they have a very specific thing that they're looking for, and like you're not going to go up there and be able to prove that yeah. in a 15 second <laughs> read off of the casting director. Right, I mean they pretty much already know what they're looking for, and it just depends on if you fit their image and their subjective view of what the scene should look like and how it should be read. Like no amount of pre- preparation can really get you there, which is why I didn't like it because I felt at a certain point there's no amount of prep I can do to give a casting director their subjective view of what they want me to do. Like I can't. How am I supposed to, you know what I mean? I understand. I think at a certain point in life, you have to decide whether you want to be a fan or whether you want to be a part of it. And I think with acting, I would much rather be a fan. Yeah. Like, I love movies and, you know, but... Or a writer. That's a move. Mm-hmm. Write a screenplay, right? Like a good one. Write a, yep. a play if that's the, how you want to get involved in that scene. I think that's the move because yep. there you can really be creative, right? Yep. And then you're the one who's making your vision come true yeah, as that's opposed to trying to... Yep. So, I, I also have a background in theatre, and yeah, oh, writing is the way yeah. to go because, like, I've never done anything big, obviously, but the sitting around and waiting is the worst thing in the yeah, world. Yeah. Like, how do if you're a bit part player in a soap opera or something, you spend eighty percent of your day just sat there going. Yep, it's true. Uh, and then one of the strangest experiences I've had in my life was, was a casting call, and they basically wanted someone from the north of England. You know, skinny, um, brown hair sort of thing. Yeah. So I showed up for a casting call, so I went in the room, and there were 30 other me's in there because we were all told to wear like white shirt, black tie. Oh shit. So I like, oh. <laughs> slipped into a parallel yeah. dimension here. Yeah. Just open the door to a big white room. There's 30 other me's in there. I'm like, Jesus, this is weird. Do you ever read any? Do you read plays? Do you, or are a you bit, mostly novels? A bit. I read novels way more than plays. Uh, do you do mostly I, fiction or non fiction? I do both. Uh, Let's I talk do, about books, dude. I was even thinking we, we could talk about oh shit, books, nice. uh, books sure. on the podcast. Where, uh, I do what fiction, are you into? 
everything. I like um, fantasy, horror. I like speculative fiction. Um, been reading a lot more non-fiction when I started businesses, but as of late, especially during the quarantine, I feel like reading uh, fiction allows me to escape into another head space yeah. that that it is like the number one thing to make me less stressed and anxious. So I read fiction before I go to sleep. Um, I like like guys like Neil Gaiman. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. gonna start Sandman tomorrow. I think mm. I'm just finishing up uh, uh, Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. I'm on the last oh the, shit the last chapter. One. Yeah, I'm on the last chapter right now. Pet last a cat, straight always cat. Pet a you, passing cat or something. Yeah, like pet yeah. a passing cat when it walks by or something. And I'm, I've already started that one. I finished that, and then I've got uh, Sandman set to release next. I love American Gods. I read that mm. one a couple years ago. That one was fucking awesome. I love that book. Uh, that's Gaiman too. But uh, Sandman is supposed to be his most. Sandman's amazing. Is it? I heard it's great. Yeah, it's, I've only read the first couple of books, and I do want to read the rest. I'm just not going to answer there. I thought he's great too. I haven't read Sandman. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. next. I actually was just looking at it yesterday. Mm. So what, what? What else? What else are you into? Uh, other artists. I like Stephen King. Mm. <laughs> uh, bunch of other guys. Uh, I read a lot of old guys. Um, classic guys. I really like Oscar Wilde. Mm. Um, what are some of your favorite authors? I, I like G.R. Martin. So yeah, like Game yeah of me Thrones. too. Yeah, I read all those like when I was in college. Up yeah. to Feast of Crows. I didn't finish that one. But it's okay because I've been waiting 20 fucking years for the next one to come out. Did you see that the, there was a post online the other day? It was like, he said, if the book isn't out this time next year, you can put me in jail or something. Yeah. And that was like last week or <laughs> whatever that he yeah, said. That. Yeah, so I didn't finish Feast for Crows. And I was, that was five or six years ago. Then I'm like, well, next one's not out anyway. So I still got time to figure that out. Yeah, when I was young, I was always into high fantasy. Uh. So Game of Thrones... Any sort of Lord of the Rings, uh, Sword of Truth. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I've heard Wheel, of it. Never Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Yeah, I read all of that stuff. Uh, but now I'm reading mostly nonfiction mm. as I get a little bit older. Yeah. I read the recently, I'm just finishing up Jordan Peterson's. I read uh, uh, David Goggins. I read his book before yeah, that. Yeah. And I did Sapiens before that. I think I told oh you about my Sapiens. God. So I Sapiens just... was a struggle at some point, man. Though I, had to, I had to push myself to get through certain parts of that book. Is, is Sapiens the first one or is that? Sapiens is the first one. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the first sure. one. Yeah. I, I just got done reading uh, Homo Deus. So I read Sapiens like last year. Then I just got done reading Homo Deus. So his, um, the book after, the sequel of Sapiens. Yeah. My God. Uh, better? Yeah, Worse? Same? I think it's a better book than Sapiens. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing though. So, so you get to the point where he's, he's starting to talk about humans becoming gods in the sense that we, we're going to start to like cybernetically enhance ourselves. Oh, interesting. And like, ah. Uh, Oh god, here yeah. we go. Yeah, it's entering not, the matrix. Yeah, it's not something that you can read like for fun. Like, yeah. You have to, like, yeah, you gotta work through those, man. They're thick, they're dense, and then yeah. like once I got like halfway into sapiens, I was like, God damn man, this is getting this is getting thick. Yeah. It's like reading a textbook at certain points. He opened up Homo Deus by talking about pandemics. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> too like, too oh, real, dude. Shit. shit got too real. This uh, this that's age like reading uh, reading uh, what's the Stephen King one, The Strand. Yeah. Like, no one's reading that right now either. Like, no, no. Yeah. Shit. But I love the. I mean, I, Sapiens came out so so hard in the first couple chapters when they started talking about the Denisovans and the different types of humans that existed. Mm-hmm. Simul- mm-hmm. Where there's six, five or six different species of humans that have existed simultaneously et cetera, et cetera. With, yeah. with Homo sapiens. I mean, that shit is crazy. And they found the ones in Indonesia, the Homo florensi, flor, the floriensis, yeah. the little hobbit people. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking mind blowing, dude. And then you think of the history of this planet is just ridiculous. You know what is more amazing? We killed the shit out of all of them. Yeah, they're all, they're all <laughs> gone. We are the masters of this domain and everything else shall perish. Do you think back in those days they had like their version of like Greta Thunberg who was like, save the Neanderthals. <laughs> and it's just this little hobbit person just ah, with yeah. a picket sign. I don't know, man. We, what do you think? Because 
I mean, you're the youngest of us. Yeah. You have a child. We talked about this a little bit. I had my hair on the podcast last week, and we were talking to him a little bit about this. Like, what do you actually think it's gonna like life is gonna look like in 20 or 30 years? Is it gonna be like a fucking apocalyptic, cybernetic? Is it? Are we gonna be like cyberpunk? What like global warming ice sheets? Of, like, I can't tell if it's gonna be apocalyptic, if it's gonna be amazing. Some weird thing with both are we going to have massive inequality with money and have mega fucking uber billionaires and then poor people still are we going to get closer toward like equality and egalitarian society it could go at any especially now during a pandemic i feel like it can go at any direction like mm. just fucking say something and you could be 20 percent chance you're right right <laughs> i think everybody that tried to answer this question whether it be through science fiction or whatever has been wrong so who got it the most right <laughs> who got it the most right would you say definitely not al gore no definitely <laughs> not yeah definitely not al gore i have who got the who did the best version of predicting the future who's the guy that wrote the time machine hg wells hg wells he predicted the atomic bomb like like years before anything like like 100 years before it was invented but terrifyingly as well <laughs> yeah george orwell George Orwell. Some aspects of it. I mean, they had talking screens and yeah. like, uh, there, there were some as this is the thing with all of this, this great fiction, right? Yeah. There are some aspects of it that they get, but nobody's able to nail right. like the full picture. But you live in certain countries in the world, let's say China, you're living in the novel 1984. To a certain extent, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, a, in a weird, but then they still have little bits of freedom. They still no, have- Hong Kong's not. No, yeah. Well, Hong Kong is yeah, quickly going the other way. They are turning into a, to Orwellian dystopia. 1984 is one of the most terrifying books I've read in my life. I love it. I, I mean, I love it as much as you can love it. Yeah. As much as one can love I've, that. I've read the book five times, and every time I read it, I find something new in it. Like, it's, to me. it's so terrifying. It's, uh, there's this one quote where it goes like, if you want to know the future of the human race, just imagine um, a boot stamping on a human face forever. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's like, thanks, Orwell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cheers, this is a this optimistic oh, view of shit. humanity here. Yeah. But you know what's another one I really like is, have you ever read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? No, I haven't. Oh, that's... I, mean, I started it, but I couldn't... Really? It. I, uh, I got into it, and it was like... When he kept on talking about cod pieces, I drew the line. Yeah, well, that's like... Uh, that's Blade Runner, basically. Mm. I mean, that's I've the, heard about it, though. I, oh, it's so good. It's Because it's, it's like... Kind of same thing, this dystopian future... But it gets to the point where we're dealing with like artificial intelligence and humanoid robots, and I yes. feel like there's that's still in front of us. You know, that's still right. going to be coming down the line. I don't know, man. What, what do you think? If you were to have a kid, you say you probably will have one in what 10, yeah. 20 at some point. Yep. Are you going to have a kid at some point? I am. I want to. I want to have kids. Okay, okay, sure. So, what do you <laughs> think their life will be like when they're adults? Do you think you will be? <laughs> do you think you will be happy with your decision to have had kids? And then, do you think the world that they will inherit will be wor better than the one that we have? Depends on how much money you got, bro. So, uh, I'm a positive kind of guy. Let's so assume middle class, like the general ex experience. I think not bad. I'm a positive kind of guy, so I think that um, life is what you make it, kind of. And I think, it's a, I think it's a remarkable thing that we haven't killed ourselves already. Like, we haven't blown up the planet. We so tried. Like the Cold we tried a few War, times. <laughs> Dude, uh, shit! What bomb is this? It's not Trinity. It's called the it's Hydrogen? called the Sa Bomba. So oh, it's, yeah. the, it's the biggest, it's the bomb, biggest ever. bomb that ever detonated. So it's an atomic bomb, right? It was megaton. detonated in the seventies. I don't know what. So it was so powerful that the shock waves went three times around the world. Yeah. And the mushroom cloud was seven times at its peak, taller than Mount Everest. Was that was that the one where they didn't? Act, they were like, there is a chance this might 
ignite the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, that's what they're worried about. Yeah, why, why are you even doing that then? We had this kind of bombs like 30, 40 years ago, you know? So I think it's remarkable that we haven't offed ourselves. So I think the invention of things like Facebook and just massive technology that allows us to connect with each other, like social media, has brought more peace to the world than anything ever before, in my opinion. Because um, just 70 years ago, we were fighting World War Two, right? Was it 70 years ago? Something like that. Yeah, 80 years ago. Yeah. So there was a lot of ignorance. and But now, like with the bomb blast that happened in Beirut, people get information instantly. Yeah. And everybody's so connected now. You could go to a YouTube video and watch like a video of whoever's supposed to be our enemy, like the Russians or like the Iranians or whatever, right? And you get a better understanding of people than ever before. So I think that in my opinion that the human race is headed towards a better direction but we have to be careful with the pandemics and the nuclear bombs man holy shit well we're also going through growing pains with the social media and like for all of the ways that it it it, it binds us together it also separates us in some ways right because with with the fact that we can communicate so quickly it seems we're also growing apart in some other ways right because a lot of it is the fact that these are not face-to-face interactions, They're, which changes the game. Yep. Like if you think of how your kids are going to socialize, most of it will probably not be face-to-face. Yep. And that's a big change from when we were kids. And it's already starting to be a change of how we are now. I mean, yep. I would still say that most of our communication is on the phone in terms of the amount of people that you speak to, right? Of course, yep. you're, only, you're only talking to a few people a day face-to-face, but most of it's gonna be texting back and forth, social media, ping, yep. ping, ping. And you're getting this small little uh, you get you're missing all the social cues, and then everything is politicized these days. It seems like it, mm. and even if even with the social media shit, you still got like the the Uyghur situation going on in China. You still have, and I mean you can't avoid all of this stuff, right? I'm not saying that you can't, but it does seem like with the technology and the social media and all these the smartphones and all of these things that we have access to, which have greatly improved the quality of our lives, we're also still wrestling with the best way to to integrate it into our day-to-day existence in a healthy way. The best that we can. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that it's a tremendously powerful thing, like way more than people think it is. And with any powerful things, it's a double-edged sword. So it's like, you can't nerf the world like it is already the way it is now. Like there's no going back to, to a world where there's no social media. There's just no way. So you gotta make make the best of what you can. I Like I said, when I, work, when I wake up in the morning, I don't use my phone for like an hour. And when I go to sleep, I don't use my phone. So, so I try to set like barriers in my life to, to avoid that and it's been working. I just feel like that that pendulum can't swing backwards, right? I mean, it's like, it just, you, cause you would think I mean, for sure you do get better at learning not to use your devices so much, but yeah. when your kids that have grown up with the device in their hands, since they're like four and five years old, it's going to be very difficult, especially as we start to integrate ourselves more with technology. Yeah. I mean, pretty soon it's going to be contact lenses. It's going to, mm-hmm. that have your internet page on them, it's gonna, I mean, the phone is gonna somehow be integrated into your person. Yeah. You're gonna have VR, virtual reality, you're gonna It'll have augmented Androids. reality. Yep. I mean, at that point, oh, in, it's gonna be. In schools now, Tom, a teacher as well, we're getting like the first set of kids through who grew up with a phone in their hands, coming through to middle school, yeah. that is. And I mean, look at kids, but attention span. <laughs> Does, do you give your daughter a phone? To shut her up. <laughs> yeah, see? See? Yep. That's the trap. That's the trap right there. Yeah, he's, you know, you're a parent. Like this morning, she comes down, I train with Ron, she wakes around for an hour. 
if I just left her there on her own, she'd be on the mat, she'd be coming on, asking me questions, bugging yeah. on. So if she, she can sit there for an hour, like get to play on the iPad for an hour, then you're trained. And then the other kids have them, so yeah. then you're, you're stuck into that situation, right? Where it's like all the friends have them, and then it's like, yeah, it's tough to, tough to navigate that in a... I think you just have to, you know, she, she gets to sit on it for an hour this morning, but then she has to train for an hour afterwards. Yeah. So then it's fine, but if you just sat on it all, all day, day. no. Nah. Yeah. Did you ever deal with like, uh, I don't know, you're, you're, you're younger than me, so did you ever deal with like depression or any like awkward social things to deal with devices growing up or were you pretty well integrated into like... Uh, just devices? Devi yeah, I mean, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like internet porn, everybody's got their... <laughs> that's a big one, right? I mean, that's right. a that's a big oh, one. I mean, how many fucking teenagers are just like lost in... How are you going to give your kid a phone yeah. when they're 13 or 14 and just expect them not to find the porn? It's um, if you give boys from, let's say, 10 up a phone, obviously there's a wide range to it. A smartphone, this is. Right. They are pretty much exclusively going to use it to watch porn. I'm, I mean, how can they not? Yeah, if you give it girls from that age up, they're exclusively going to use it to bully one another. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. Yeah. Do not it's like all it. of, yeah, the Instagram. Yeah. yeah, that's the other element of this is like, mm. yeah, how it, how it affects you and how it, the world perceives you with all these filters and Instagram filters and. Right. Yeah, I got pee. Oh, did you oh, see that? Hey, let's uh, take a little break. Let Alvin go to the back room, and then we'll finish break. up for 20 minutes or so. And we were, and we're back. We were at um, where? Like, did I ever have any problems with social media and things like that? Yeah. Like devices in general. You know, just the temptation, the modern day temptations of, of being a young teen in this world. Uh, definitely, man. So, so, I really felt it during the pandemic, and when I was running um, SUG is open, which is why like I had to. So I was talking to Gary about it, which is why I had to set like rules about not using my phone. I feel like it interrupts flow state. That's the biggest thing for me. Like yeah. it makes my life less enjoyable. So when I train, I don't use the phone. When I lift weights, I don't use the phone. When I write, no phone. Um, before I wake, not before I wake, but right after I wake and before I sleep, no phone. So it, it just like it just like resets the brain. It's like, oh there's something new, ding ding ding. So it really it really kills your attention span very, very badly. And back to that flow state thing, it's, it's, so, it's so important. So if you were to roll halfway and when you, when you take a break, you just check like, your phone and you, you watch like, oh, an explosion happened there, a uh, pandemic counts a thousand people today, you just get bombarded and it just kills. That drives me crazy. I see it in class all the time. I'll give people a water break and they go over there and check their phone. Yeah. I'm like, dude, it's only one minute. Are you kidding me? Sometimes people open up their laptops and they start doing something on like a one minute water break. Mm -hmm. I'm like, really? You can't just, what yeah. are you going to get done in that minute? How productive are you going to be? Like, what are we doing? You're it's like the old man classes Saturday morning at nine o'clock because none of the young kids can go up for it, and we're all in our forties, and no one's like in between every round, we just rip the piss out of one another. Yeah, and that's it. But yeah, some of the young yeah. boys are like, oh, "Gotta get on the phone." Well, I mean, yeah. to your point, Alvin, you have to, you have, an, you have some self-discipline, and that's a skill that you learn. You have to. But you also have a little bit of separation between that digital space and then your, your real life. Mm -hmm. As these kids get older and older and older, and the temptations become more and more severe, that line is going to blur. I think, I mean, Jake and I were just <laughs> making a joke. Going to get a little graphic here, people. But Jake and I were just talking about, he's saying, oh, when I was a kid, I was addicted to Sonic the Hedgehog. And then I was like, yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog. Imagine wearing, like for Sega, right? You run around and there's the puzzle or the running fast fucking speed thing. Imagine being like a 15-year-old kid in 20 years wearing a virtual reality helmet getting a fucking blowjob from your favorite porn star. Right. And you're addicted to Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah. Imagine the... 
that's happening for sure. Yep. And then tell me that those kids aren't going to way rather do that. You want to talk about like the temptation of the kids in the future are going to have to deal with this compared to like mm -hmm. our Sonic the Hedgehogs or whatever the fuck, like yeah, texting sure. on those old school phones. You know what I mean? Yeah. Playing the snake game and shit. Kids would spend hours and hours and hours of that. Imagine the level of temptation compared to like the advanced technology that's going to be accessible to these kids in 10 years. Yeah, VR is something, is something else, you know. Um, you're 100% right. So that's going to be tough. I'm going to, if and when I do have kids, I'm just going to drill this into them. You have to live in the real world. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a fast track to addiction, you know. Um, just, just wanting to escape the real world and your problems into something else. That to me is, is terrible. I used to be addicted to video games when I was a, when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still kind of am, I guess. I mean, I have <laughs> yeah, a good boundary, yeah. but... Could not get me off Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Every person listening to this thing, yeah, it's like, oh, the movie? You, you know? Yeah, no, not the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's the tricky part, right? I was, Jake and I were saying when you were in the bathroom that, you know, the, the struggles that young people are going to have to deal with. Mm. And the, the issue that I see is going to be inequality. And the inequality is not going to be just financial. I think that will be part of it. Mm -hmm. But it's also going to be like inequality with, with social skills, right. inequality with attention span. I mean, Jake, what were you saying just now about the kids that are coming into your classes? Yeah, like the kids that started to come through to middle school, not all, but some have just been raised on a phone and they can't concentrate. So their academics, you know, they're struggling already at age 11. Yeah. And it's all down to, you know, instant gratification from the phone. Parents don't want to deal with them. Right, get on that. And, you know, yeah. that's their life. That's all they've ever known. Yeah. And then we were talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about like incels and what was the Japanese thing? Can you look that oh, term up for it, me, Jake? Uh, hikikomori. Hikikomori, that's the Japanese like celibates, right? Or, yeah, boys who, or well, men who won't leave their house, won't move out of the family home, just sit in the room and never come out. Yeah, don't don't have any relationships with the opposite sex. They just sit in their own little room, play video yeah. games with their parents until they're old. And then you have like the incels. I mean, that's a level of social, social inequality, yep. right? Where they just totally don't have the social skills. And then there's the financial stuff. And then there's going to be the academic stuff, the technological stuff, like who's going to be able to afford what phones. I mean, this is already starting to happen. Singapore is pretty good, but if you go to other schools, like people get bullied because of that shit, right? Like you think you extrapolate that 20 years and the human species is going to have some a hard time trying to navigate on how to separate themselves from their devices and keep a healthy balance and stay disciplined to live a healthy and right. happy we'll, life. We'll have this podcast again in another 20 years and then we'll, we'll see what happens, you know? One of us will just have VR goggles. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Dude, I'll just, you'll be talking to me. I'll be watching internet porn on my fucking lens. You think you're talking to me. You don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? You watch Black Mirror. Uh, I've seen a few episodes, like the first season I watched. They nail it. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that, that is some scary shit. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, I think with the, with, the rising, with the rise of powerful technology, it will magnify human traits. So traits like bullying, jealousy, or just comparing yourself to another person, these will be magnified. But so hopefully it will be traits like kindness and helping one another and things like that. I don't know. Um, you can use your VR goggles to watch porn, or you can use your VR goggles to talk to your mom in China or something like that. Or both yep. at the same time. The way right. we're going. <laughs> one, one, one lens here, dude. One lens here. My God. Mom, mama don't know, man. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just messing around, guys. I'm just playing, keeping it light. But of course, right? With anything, there's right. going to be good and bad stuff. But I guess, I guess on the whole, like no one would have anticipated the power of smartphones 
10 years ago, well, I guess about 10, 20 years ago. And if they had, they probably would have had this. A lot of people would have had this dark vision for how things would go. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would have had a more positive vision and yeah. we're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, as always, right? yeah. as always, yeah. So I think we're doing fine. Like once again, I'm just really impressed that after reading Sapiens, that we didn't kill ourselves. Yeah. We blew up the entire planet. Guys. Hopefully we don't in the future or have a meteor or another pandemic smash us in the next 20 years. No, no more pandemics. That's no more. Yeah, Homo sapiens are winners, though. Like, we're going to come back. So in, in the next two years. Until we integrate events. with the technology fully. And then that species starts to overrun the, the people that want to live in, like, the, the preppers that want to live in a cabin alone in their woods. And then the cyborg humans will have to take the space. You know what I mean? Right. you, you got to read the sequel, man. That's, that's how we ended off with. Is that so, how it ended yeah, off? Yeah, it's like... Ah, see? So, <laughs> I, can, I can read the future. So, <laughs> I didn't even know. It's awesome. So what is it? What does it say? Like, like, outline it for me. So we're all humans now, right? Yeah. But where do you draw the line? So we're going to have genetically and like cybernetically and biogenetically enhanced babies, right? So let's say, let's say 20 years from now, you're going to have a kid, all right, with your wife. But that kid's going to have like a heart disorder, all right? So, so where do you draw the line between, between changing up your genes, so your sperm, taking away the heart disorder and making that kid taller, smarter, than all the other kids. So once, once you cross that line, everybody's kids, they're gonna do this to their kids. Yeah. Like just make this kid high IQ, make him live longer, cancer free, everything. So these kids are gonna be gods. Like, like you can genetically enhance athletes. Like, and then they're also gonna have the, the yeah. They're also the gonna have the smartphones the embedded in their integrated into you know? them. They're, they're gonna be chipped. They're gonna and then there's gonna be a subset of people that don't want to do that. They want to be all natural. How do the all how do the all natural people compete? It's like steroids in combat sports. Yeah. It's like I don't know, dude. We still have people that are denying vaccines. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, who would have thought? Imagine go, having fucking polio and yep. then thinking that some people were not gonna living in a world where polio existed and then say, oh, in 50 years people are gonna think this is bullshit and they're not gonna give their kids polio vaccines. Yeah. Yet here they are. We are we are our own worst enemy. Man. You can't deny that. You can't deny gravity, but gravity exists so so let's say your kid is enhanced right he's a god like he's not a normal human right he's faster stronger smarter than any kid alive and he has smartphones technology 20 years from now how how are the other kids going to compare to that that got no choice you have to if you so want your kid to compete in the modern world race. it's going to be an arms race dude yeah well that's a i don't know if that's a bleak view of the future or a positive one or maybe again somewhere in the middle is probably right yeah he just ended off by saying that the next generation is gonna be, we're gonna be all like fighting for immortality instead of, yeah. It's, it's a weird book, man, you have to read it. Yeah, well, now I'm, I'm in. I'm glad we got to talk about some books, dude. I wanted to do it last time, but we ran out of time with all the MMA talk. Yeah, man, thank you for having me, dude. Yeah, man, thank you for coming on. I appreciate always this, it's always fun. Yeah. Always a good time. Lion City Championship, Lion City. coming soon. SGBGJ Open. Coming soon too. Alvin Ong, thank you, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you, Luke, for having me. Thank you guys for watching, thank you. And Jake. Thanks, Jake. Pleasure Thanks. as always. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. Okay, pleasure. everybody. This is the Stronghold Podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a good one.